0: Good afternoon, all of you. Certainly feels really good to be here in the chair at home (coughs) to speak with you. After having been gone nearly three weeks, I was surprised to come home and see that uh, everything's green. We've got spring flowers blooming, and uh, it was as dry as it could get, I think, before I left. Wasn't anything for an animal to chew on hardly whatsoever. And now I've got gross stuff growing up that would take a hundred goats to eat. So uh, it's amazing how much rain has fallen here the end of July through this part of August. It's supposed to be kind of the monsoon season, but I think it's rained more this this year than any year we've been here in the fall. So it's a, it was quite a Surprised to see everything looking so green this time of year. We are facing, in my mind, a very real crisis. I have been in mind to be back here for sure. When 6-1 of the book of Haggai occurs, which begins tonight, the first day of the sixth month begins, and I've been watching this date really for years uh, to see where, when, and how it might have an effect, and I've been watching ever since certain knowledge came for over 26 years now for certain things to develop. And it's been slower than I anticipated, uh, even as, and I've said many times, I go back to my childhood, and here we were heading up toward 1972 in Prophecy, the booklet we had clear back, I think, in the 50s. Uh, maybe it didn't come out quite that early, but I think it did. And that didn't happen, and now I'm an old man, and uh still hasn't happened. And yet I knew that these prophecies of God had to be true, and they are going to come to pass. And as we watch today, they indeed are coming to pass, day by day, and more dramatically as the days go by. And I had no clue uh, when I got up this morning of a couple of things that have happened uh, recently. Uh, the first thing I noticed was that the stock market had dropped 1,008 points yesterday while I was driving home. I uh, checked some of the news, Fox News and one other, and they hardly mentioned it. It was kind of buried down in the subtitles. Uh, someone pointed out in an article, though, that 1,008 was an interesting number, harkening back to uh, 2008. When we had that last uh, financial crisis, uh, you know, they can manipulate that stock market up and down pretty easily. And toward the close, they may have tacked on two or three or taken off two or three points to make it come out there, just like they can plan to knock buildings down on 911. Uh, that type of thing could be manipulated very, very easily. Uh, but The Fed chairman yesterday in uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming, at their annual meeting said that they're going to continue to raise credit, uh, the credit rate, uh, probably three-quarters of a point and maybe another three-quarters next month. And what they've raised it so far has caused the housing market to start crashing. People who are planning on building homes aren't now because with the interest rates going higher, they can't afford the payments. So uh, if they keep doing it, it's just going to get worse as far as those things are concerned. And I've been on a project helping build a house up in Montana. And it's interesting that it's very, very hard to get a lot of parts that are needed. I went in to get framing nails. Uh, Lowe's didn't have any. And Home Depot only had two boxes. And they weren't the kind I wanted, but they'd work. And it's that way with a lot of things. I went into Lowe's to get electrical boxes that you put in the wall. They didn't have one. Home Depot, fortunately, had quite a few. I uh, wanted an electrical circuit uh, box. The size I wanted, they had one. And of the others, they only had one or two or three. Stuff like that daily trying to get the parts you need to do something. And this is common now throughout the country that, not just in building, but in car parks, anything you want to name, hard to find what you need because it's breaking down. And I found it interesting tying this in with Montana because it appears they may be making Montana a, an example Uh, It was about two weeks ago that they declared in Billings, Montana, the biggest city, uh, that the refrigerators, refreezers had gone out in Walmart, in Costco, and was there one other big uh, supplier? And they had to throw away 80,000 pounds or tons, I think I mentioned this at the time, of frozen food. And they had guards out at the landfill and had people literally burning the stuff so it could not be used. And I suspected that there wasn't really a power outage, but they wanted to destroy the food. Now, since that occurred, the same type of thing has happened in Missoula and in Bozeman. And then about two or three days ago, the Walmart in Great Falls burned... Destroying all the food and all of everything else, basically, I guess. So the four biggest cities in Montana in the last two or three weeks have had major food losses. Now, I read this morning that the western third of the state, all the water, surface water and groundwater, is being turned over to two Indian tribes. They go back to a treaty made about 150 or so years ago, wherein they allowed those two Indian tribes to fish anywhere they wanted. Even though they may have had a reservation for them, they could fish anywhere. Now they have taken that old treaty and decided that if there's water, then the Indians, in order to fish anywhere, need to control the water. Now, I don't know whether you have any fish in your well, but be that as it may. They've been given over, and the EPA and other federal uh, idiots are overseeing this and causing it to happen. Now, on the surface, okay, the Indians on, on the water. Big deal. No, it is a big deal. They can charge as much for water as they please because it's theirs. They can put a meter on your house and charge you as much as they want to for any water that comes into that house. They can charge any farmer or rancher whatever they wish For any irrigation water that comes out of a river or a well, any water, surface and subsurface, they will have control of. That's a third of the state. Now, what does that mean for, that's the western half, western third of the state. What does that portend then for other states? They're moving in rapidly now. And to me, that was big news. I lived, I've lived in that third of Montana. And I had water coming out of the mountain into a tank, and I had gravity-fed water to my house, free of charge, on my land. If I were living in that same house today, the Indians would be able to come in and cap my tank up on the mountain and charge me for the water that has been flowing freely into the house for all these years as much as they wanted. You don't get very far without water. And the whole southwestern United States is now getting drier and drier. We are in a a little bubble here getting as much rain as we have and having spring flowers today. But the lakes and the reservoirs are drying up. Lake Mead and Lake Powell are lower than they've ever been, and I know know this is old news, but they're getting lower every day. And pretty soon, Phoenix and Tucson and Las Vegas and Los Angeles will have no water. Uh, Europe is in a 500-year water crisis. Terrible drought. The major rivers of Europe are drying up. They can't float barges on them to haul coal and wheat and whatever. And their internal rivers have been one of their major sources of transportation. The Danube, the Rhine, uh, and so on. They're drying up. Just like the Colorado River's drying up. So, these things are going on. Uh, The British nations, for instance, just announced that they no longer need the U.S. dollar. Those are some of the biggest economies on earth Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. They now have internal means, and the president or the CEO, whatever he is, of BRICS, I had looked like an Indian name, said, We no longer need or will use the US dollar. Now, we've been saying, and understanding for years that when the petrol dollar went down, the U.S. dollar would go down, and it would be over for this country. And that is now occurring very rapidly, and no one's going to want the U.S. dollar. I read elsewhere that there are quite a few countries who are buying up gold as fast as they can with the U.S. dollars they have in stock and the gold price is being manipulated downward very hard because they want to be able to stock up at a low price as much as they possibly can before they lose control of the gold price and the BRIC countries are now using gold and they've been stockpiling gold for years because they knew that paper dollars would become worthless and they wanted something of real value So. And it's already old news by now that they are planning on executing Donald Trump if they find any evidence of any wrongdoing. And that's by the head of the CIA. That's not just some minor representative from Iowa. That's the head of the CIA saying that. So on and on it goes. Well, what I... The other thing I saw this morning... And the thing that, beyond these things that are happening prophetically that I've just been talking about, uh, I thought, well, I'll go to CGG's website. I haven't been there in a while. And uh, see if there's any news or announcements. Well, Don Reitenbaugh, who had been recovering from COVID at 80, age 89 and unable to do much of anything, had gotten a little better over the last month or two and was even able to sit up in a chair and deliver a sermon or two, I heard. Uh and then about a week ago, eight days whatever it was, he had a major stroke. Uh he's been in the hospital. He can hardly speak, uh almost unresponsive. They the doctor got into he able to spit out his own name and then the uh, physical therapist that was there tried to get him to speak again and could not and he's refusing to eat uh, he's not in very good shape at all and the doctor said that he is susceptible to more strokes because the main artery has hardened and the that, that could cause it And what it all boils down to, as I would say, based on the three reports I read on CGG's prayer site, is he probably only has days, at most weeks or a month or two, to live uh, with the current medical condition that is there. Now, to me, this is an absolute crisis. I have believed for 26 and a half years now that he is the man that is going to lead the building of the temple and the building of Jerusalem. These scriptures are all very clear that it has to be done and I think we all understand that well and we know where they are to be essentially. And Maybe my perception, maybe my understanding all these years has been wrong. That's possible. And maybe it's somebody else. I don't know that. I don't really believe that. But if he is indeed the man, and his health is as it is today, then we're at crisis time. Now, very interestingly, this crisis has arrived right at the time of the six months in the first day being imminent. And that is the day that Haggai began his message. I wondered over the years if the dates in Haggai and Zechariah might become very important because God makes it a point of using those dates and making a point of them. He doesn't do that in other scriptures. Uh, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, they might mention in passing uh, that it was the year of of such and such king. And even Ezekiel 40 seems to indicate that that was a jubilee and ties in uh, to be the same year that Christ announced uh, the acceptable year of the Lord in Luke 4. So God doesn't mention dates unnecessarily and waste time with them unless they... Have some interest or value. And I think the ones in Haggai and Zechariah at some times have to be important. Now, if this crisis of his health has any bearing on this, then this could very well be the year. Begins tonight at sundown, the sixth day of, uh, the first day of the sixth month. And it could become a very important date. Now, I don't know that, and we'll find out within 24 hours uh, whether it is or not. Uh, but I don't expect him, naturally speaking, to live another year. I think with the only health problem he's had at age 89, almost 90, he'll be 90 in you know, November, uh, and having had a major stroke... And being as unresponsive as he is, I don't in any way expect him to live another year. Uh, I don't see how that's possible on a purely human standpoint, medical standpoint, if you will. And could die any moment, for that matter, when you're in that condition and that unresponsive and not eating. uh, That can happen real fast. So I consider it a crisis in time. Uh, If he is to be indeed involved, then some healing needs to come, and it needs to come soon. Uh, And it may be that God has caused this to occur at this time because it indeed might be the right time. Now let me remind us also of scriptures that I know we know well. And I know well, and since 8 o'clock or 7.30 this morning, whenever it was, uh, a lot of those scriptures have been going through my mind because I thought, is this indeed the crisis? Is this the time? And it reminded me somewhat of Zephaniah, where chapter 1 talks about he, how he is going to destroy all the idols in the land, And then he uh, goes through and shows the financial crisis and financial cremish that is going to occur. You go to chapter 2, and he talks about a people who should come out of the cities and go to the wilderness before the crash comes. And if they are humble and meek, maybe God will preserve them. Through the trouble that is coming. And that then, in one part, becomes part of the crisis because with the stock market dropping that fast, that will have ripple effect on a lot of things and it may continue on down, and that crash may not be very far away. It's been right on the edge for a long time and. They may have given us a sign with 1008 to show that because they like to brag about what they can and will do. And they've been building movies now for decades telling you what is coming. I think George Orwell was probably one of them. He wasn't just telling us what might happen in 1984, he already knew. How could he write all that stuff if he didn't know what they were planning to do? Albert Pike knew before the turn of the century of the 1900s what they were going to do, who would be in World War I, World War II, and it predicted who would be in World War III, and it is shaping up exactly as he said. Satan is known all along. God has known all along. And Satan has allowed and taught his followers all along some of the things that needed to be done and has inspired them to go certain directions to cause it to happen. So, I have no doubt, George Orwell knew. So he wrote a book and picked the date, 1984. We're way past that, but the things that he said would happen... Are now happening. Just like we're well past what Herbert Armstrong said of a lot of things that would happen, and they're now happening. So Satan gave his synopsis, and God has given us his, and it's all taken longer to develop on both sides than either side would have naturally thought. But now it's shaping up very, very rapidly. And the financial crash then becomes part of the crisis in time. Because God tells them to gather before the crash. Now, how soon is the crash going to be? I think it's not very far away. So, indeed, the time for that gathering might be very near. Maybe imminent. Who knows? We'll see. Another one is... Ezekiel 5 through 8. Chapter 5, he goes through and shows that Ezekiel was to lay on his side for Judah and Jerusalem 430 days, and that each day would be as a year. Says it right there. Each day is a year. Now, the only time that at least I have been able to identify of a 430 year period that had to do with Israel and Judah was the 400 years from the time of the Romo Colony being established and probably moving inland and surviving. 430 years later was August, or July actually, of 2017. And he did not say that the prophecy there and the prophecy went on to say, not only do you lay on your side 430 days or 430 years, but at the end of that time, one-third of us would go into captivity after one-third died of famine and pestilence. Then would come the sword, then captivity, so that 90% eventually, he said a third, a third, and a third, and then he said 90% that he took 10% out and then threw some back of the hair of his head. A beard and then it goes on to say on into chapters 7 and 8 that it would not be immediately after the 430 years but that it wouldn't be the echoing again of the mountains it would not go on and on and on and on after that 430 occurred here we are uh, just past the 5th anniversary of I believe that prophecy coming to pass and Famine and pestilence has come upon us already to one degree or another through COVID. And now they are destroying the food uh, supply very, very rapidly before our eyes with manufactured weather, with actual destruction of food that's already in the freezers, of food plants being burned, and on and on it goes, as you know. So, famine and pestilence has already begun and it will increase very, very rapidly now as they continue to do what they've started doing. And the echoing of the hills I think is not going to come to pass. He said there about a dozen times it is coming, it is soon, it is here, it is coming, it is coming to let you know it wouldn't be long and five years isn't very long and considering 6,000 years of man. And I think the 70 years of the time of building churches and building homes of Jeremiah also occurred in August of 2017. Uh, The 70 years was done. Uh, Even though people still continued to try to build church houses, quite a few built churches and auditoriums and libraries and so on, Uh, in their little segment of what got skewed. So they continued to do that. And in 2017, I believe that ended because I think the 70 years started when Herbert Armstrong started training people to go out and build church houses. Just like Jeremiah told people, it's a long captivity, build houses. And a false prophet said, no, it's a short captivity, it'll all be over, no problem. And he died. Just like Jodakotch did, not too long after. So there's a couple of prophecies that seem to fit. And then the one in Isaiah 70, the 65 years, where he said after about 65 years, and the, the Hebrew was a little blurry about, not exactly, but approximately, or in the neighborhood of 65 years, Ephraim uh, would not be a country anymore, or a nation and if you go from the first Bilderberger meeting in 1954 to late 2019, uh, we were a masked people, hardly recognizing each other, not wanting to speak to each other, and able to, not able to fight ourselves out of a paper bag, and it's gotten it worse ever since. We're destroying our military very, very rapidly, and well. Britain just announced that they will not accept any applications for military pilots from any white men. It has to be ethnic minorities or women. Because all they will accept is possible military pilots. Now, how sick can you get? I mean, this this thing is obviously so deliberate you know you can just pick things from here there and everywhere like this it's it's becoming universal and Europe has to go down just like the United States has to go down because they're part of Israel and they're past doing it they're projecting that millions of Europeans may starve to death or die of cold this winter because of what the United States and NATO did in sanctioning Russia and forcing them to make deals with other nations and getting rid of the U.S. dollar. A sanction means nothing if you don't need the dollar in the first place. So it's over. It's just over. So all these things are happening, and Ephraim, since late 2019, has become less and less of a nation and a people ever since. And our government in Washington is clearly selling us out, as Jeremiah said. Now, the other one we could throw in here on top of this is that Jeremiah says that the people will come and gather uh, in Haggai and Zechariah, the story there, just ahead of the northern army, saying, How do I get to Zion? We've gone over that how many times? How far is it away now? We are already at war with Russia. We're doing it as a proxy thing through the Ukraine, but we're sending in the arms and the airplanes and the munitions and everything to fight the Russians. You think the Russians are blind to this? They know U.S. and NATO are supplying that stuff. They haven't escalated it yet, we haven't escalated it yet. But it's going on, and we're already nose-to-nose with China, Russia, and those nations that God says are going to destroy this country. And Israel and Iran are in the mix as well. So, if it's not here, it's very, very close. And I think that you could say the church is in crisis time because... A projected leader that I have believed firmly for a long time is at the end of the road as a human being unless God changes it. You and I are getting closer to the end of the road. Uh, some of us are standing pretty close to the exit. Uh, and unless God intervenes and heals us, there's not going to be very many left. I just, they also had a prayer request in there for Fred Coulter. Uh, he's been around for a long time, and I it did not detail. Maybe it's further down, and I didn't go far enough down to read it. Detail what his problem is, but his son said, "Do not call him. Uh, we're hoping he gets better, and God will intervene." So there must be something fairly seriously wrong with Fred, and he must be well up into his eighties. Uh, I know when he was in when I was in college with him in the sixties, he was already gray headed. I don't know how old he was, but he was a lot older than the rest of us students at that time. So he's he's got to be well up in his 80s. So I don't know what part he might or might not play. Uh, he may die or God may use him. Who knows? Uh, it's interesting to me that God said there in Haggai, I will serve and become. And we've been over that many times. You and I have no idea who. Or what that will be. We can't read the hearts. We can't know what anyone really is truly thinking in their heart of hearts. We can't know those things. But God does. And I've always thought it will be quite interesting to see, out of the 100%, the 10% that he brings. And who it will include. There are bound to be people there that you and I know just because we know a lot of people have met over the decades. So there's bound to be, maybe not in every case, but a lot of people that some of us knew or know will show up. It'll be interesting to see who does and who doesn't. Just like it was very interesting to me when the church started coming apart who was faithful and strong in truth and doctrine and who just gave it up. People that I thought were pretty strong and were probably, would be faithful, just gave it up and uh, accepted a paycheck with cicaches and so on and gave up the truth. And not just that we're employees of the church, but other people in the congregations that you thought were fillers turned out to be lumps. And people you thought were lumps turned out to be fillers. So, who knows? Nobody knows but God, and I find it exciting to see, now that's assuming I'm there, and I hope I am, Um, and I pray that I will be. I'm here now, and I hope I stay, (laughs) unless I cork off or whatever, but I, I very much look forward to seeing who that I might know shows up and who I don't know shows up. But this thing could be beginning very soon based on conditions in the nation, the world, and now a crisis in health of one that I feel God designated as a leader. And I'll, maybe I'll be proved to be wrong, but I don't think so. I don't think so. I believe that for 26 and a half years, I'm not going to give it up now. We'll see. <laughs> uh, but these prophecies, these Scriptures cannot lie. They do not lie. They're truth. Now, what you and I might think about personalities or people, we'll see. But the Scriptures do not lie. Thy word is truth. And Haggai and Zechariah make it very plain that the temple has to be built at the end... And we've gone over so many of these things so many times, but they just kept going through my mind this morning, reminding me of the things that we've seen in the Scriptures. And God said this would occur right at the point where there would only be old men who had seen worldwide at its best. And they could compare and show that the latter temple was greater than the former. And it's getting to the point, that's got to be real soon, because the church is aging rapidly, and we sure, we still have people in the church who were younger, but they didn't see that. (laughs) I've reviewed my mind this morning, Herbert Armstrong's been dead over 36 years. That's over half a lifetime, if you use 70 as the standard, since he died. And young people in the church never heard him. They've learned about him, but they didn't ever hear him speak. They may have seen tapes, but they didn't know the man. I knew him personally, and not only that, but the church reached its zenith of spiritual power, long before it came apart. It came apart after it had already come apart, spiritually. And I still think it was in the late 60s where it probably reached its greatest strength spiritually. Maybe mid-60s, because it seemed to sort of head downhill after that. In the student body, and the congregations, um, there were still people coming, the numbers were still there, but the power, and I particularly noted, healing seemed to become fewer and further between. We weren't getting the same kind of healings we were back in the 50s and the early 60s. There were some, yes, but not like they had been. So it showed me that people's faith was waning, and that the faith of the church overall was waning. And it was going downhill instead of uphill, even though the numbers were still going up. So when was the zenith of its spiritual strength? I, I don't know that I can put a number on it, but I know that anybody that saw that before it began to decline and the ministers began to rebel in the 70s, uh, it has to be close. Because anybody who could look through mature eyes, say, at the mid-60s to 70s, at it, and will be able to still be around to see the latter temple in its glory, and it isn't even here yet, has got to be pretty old. I would have to be one of the younger ones that saw that, because I'd just entered college. (laughs) I wasn't 40 or 50 or 60 years old. My dad was there... During that time, but he was already an adult and he's long been under the bottom of the grass since 2000. So he's not around to see it. Um, he saw it before, but he's not around anymore. So he can't qualify to be one of the old men to see all this. And I barely can. So, gotta be soon. Well, is this it? I guess that's a question. Here in Haggai, he addresses Rebbebel and Joshua, who are going to be the two leaders of the end-time church, the Philadelphia era. Says in verse 2, Thus speaks the eternal of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. And I... When I began to understand Haggai and Zechariah back in, really in January of 96 and from there forward, I had a clue back in 81 when I told Herbert Armstrong a man would rise in the church and put himself in the place of God. And that man, Joe Koch, was in the room when I told him that. And I think God used me to let Mr. Armstrong know... If there would be one arise who would arise uh, and call himself God. Now, he never did say, I am God, but he put his belief and his teachings above God's teachings. And when you put your, your beliefs and your teachings above God's teachings, you're saying that you're higher than God. Because your teachings are more important than God's. So he did just that. I went home and preached a sermon in Helen and Great Falls, Montana in 1981 telling them about this because in that conversation, Herbert Armstrong told me he was the Rubabell. So, man, I went home and started digging through Haggai and Zechariah to see what that was all about. <laughs> and uh, as it turned out, I believe he was a minor type of the Bell. He did build a church in the end times. And his son may have been uh, a type of Joshua, who was filthy in many respects. Uh, So those were, I believe, minor types that fit the Scriptures, but they weren't the final ones. And that's what I had to come to see, is that Haggai and Zechariah, when it talks about the former and the latter temple, weren't talking about something back in Christ's day or Solomon's temple. It was talking about two churches that would be here at the end time. One would come, and it would go, and another would arise. Now, we've seen one come, and we were part of it, and we saw it go. And now we are awaiting the arrival arrival of the latter Temple. Let's become, I think, very clear. Um, Worldwide Church of God... And Herbert Armstrong could not have been the latter temple. They never built the temple. They never built Jerusalem back. The uh, defiling of the temple did not occur. And the flight to a place of safety did not occur. Now, in spiritual terms, they did. Uh, Joseph the Koch defiled the church or that temple and led it back into Babylon, which Zechariah 5 says clearly two unclean birds would do, he and his son, and set the base back in Babylon. The story's very clear. Ezekiel 16 is very clear uh, when you understand it. There's a parable and a riddle both. No, no, not. 16, 17, I guess I'm talking about. 16th, where he calls Israel the great whore. Seventeen's where he gives the parable and the riddle uh, that a man would arise of many feathers, different colors, different races, and it would not grow into a stately tree, but into more a bush-like proportion and its roots and everything would turn to the man, which is what happened with Herbert Armstrong and Worldwide Church of God. Uh, we saw more film clips of him coming off an airplane waving than we did hear about God. Uh, so that indeed happened that way. And then it said another one would come along and shake hands with him and say that he would follow in his footsteps, but then he would not and that he would die, and that his son would take over, and that that also would not work out, and that's the way it happened. And then it says he's going to take a sprig and create a new tree out of the dead, the dead wood. And that's what we're waiting for to happen. The rest of Ezekiel 17 has occurred. That's the only thing left at the end of the chapter that has to happen. So how could worldwide have been the latter temple when it has to exist until the end? When the two witnesses have to come there and preach to the world 1260 days and die in the streets of Jerusalem, which is not yet even built. Says it has to be built in its own place there in Zechariah 12. It says it has to be built in 70 weeks in Daniel 9. Well, that Jerusalem in the Middle East has been there now for thousands of years and the Arabs built it and say so. So a new one has to be built within 70 weeks and then it will be defiled by the beast tower and the beast tower has not arisen but it's rising out of the sea right now with its shocks and inoculations and chips that they're starting to introduce so that pretty soon you can't buy or sell without the chip. It's already being done in some places on earth and it is going to spread and they're actually talking about it in our government now. The U.S. government is right now today according to their own announcement, creating a digital chip to implant in us. And without a government check based on your social credit score, you won't be able to buy or sell, and you won't be able to without that chip. It's coming very rapidly, just like the book of Revelation said it would. So, no, these prophecies did not occur during Herbert Armstrong's time. He had to have been the former temple. And there have to be old people who can see the difference between the two. So they both have to be at the end. And the end-time prophecies simply did not occur under Herbert Armstrong. Under him, many were called. Then it was spewed out, and a few are being chosen. Ten percent. That's what has occurred. That's history. The choosing of the 10% is all that is lacking from that story. Has to be close because the beast is arising. It's rising very, very rapidly right now. We used to wonder, how would the mark of the beast be instituted? Well, through COVID shots through boosters, through the next thing that comes along where you have to be identified as having had your shots and being able to buy and sell. It's it's morphing right into that very, very rapidly. So they introduced it and it will soon become worldwide. And he says the whole world will worship the beast except for a very few protected in Zion. So the people say the time has not come that the Lord's house should be built. I think if you took a poll, if you could find them of all the members who used to be in worldwide, 90-whatever percent of them would say, Nope, this isn't time to build a temple. It's all over. Time to go to the place of safety. Then the prophet's word said, Is it time to dwell in your fine homes and this house lie waste? Consider your ways. Get your mind on my temple. Get your mind on my house, not your house. You sow much and bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there's none warm. And he that earns wages, earns wages to put it into a bag with holes. Isn't what I just read pretty much the way things are right now? Yeah, and getting worse every day that goes by. Consider your ways. Go to the mountains and bring the wood and build God's house. And I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, says the eternal. You looked for much, and it came to little. And it's coming to less and less as inflation rages, and supply lines get shut off, and normal everyday living that you and I have enjoyed for the last decades is coming to an abrupt end. The heaven has stayed from dew and the earth has stayed from her fruit. Shut off the fertilizer, change the weather patterns, and no food. Salmon and death come. And I called for a drought upon the land. And upon the mountains, on the corn, and the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground brings forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the hands. Europe is drying up and dying as we speak. Their fine vineyards are withering. The rivers will not produce water to irrigate. Five hundred year drought in Europe. Here, here. Farmers, ranchers are selling millions of cattle, having them butchered. Price of beef is up, but they're killing the mother cows now. And if they don't have calves, there won't be beef for years to come, because they can't feed the cows now. They don't have water for them now. So what he's saying here is happening right now upon the land. The corn crops are failing. The hay crops are failing. Oh, I can drive through and I just drove through Idaho and there's quite a few irrigated potatoes being grown, some corn being grown. But there are many parts of the nation where it's going to be a very, very poor harvest. And they've even said the potato crop there is going to be way down over past years. In other parts of the Midwest that normally produce a lot are producing a lot less than usual. There's just not going to be enough food to go around. And they're killing chickens by the millions, and turkeys. And on and on it goes. Echoing the words of Haggai. In the words of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and all the rest of the minor prophets. And then it says, Zerubbabel and Joshua and the people actually obeyed the voice of the Eternal and began building the temple. And God said he would be with them, and he stirs them up to do it. And then he says in chapter 2, this is on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, the 20th. 21st day of the 7th month, uh, speak to the leaders and the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? The gathering will have occurred, and then the question will be asked, How many of you saw this when worldwide was at its best? And what do you think now of what you see after the latter temple starts coming together? Is it not, in your eyes, in comparison of it as nothing, the worldwide became as nothing? You know, it used to be pretty impressive looking with that campus and that house built for the great God and uh, the airplanes and the, everything, the broadcast, the booklets, the magazines. It looked pretty impressive. But when this is done, it will be nothing in comparison nothing you're going to see some dramatic things occur that will be almost beyond the belief so he says be strong and work and it'll be like when you came out of Egypt there in verse 5 what happened the whole Egyptian empire was destroyed before their very eyes they marched out on foot and God dried up the ocean and have them walk through, and then let the Egyptians, or Mithraimites come in behind them and get round. And he says it's going to be the same kind of deliverance. Do we get the picture, brethren? God is going to do great things. We've been floating along, hoping, wondering when. It's coming, and it's coming soon now. And he says, he will shake the heavens and the earth, and the desire of all nations shall come. I'll fill this house with glory. So, this temple building is going to be at the time when he begins to shake the heavens and earth. And it will be greater than the former, verse 9. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, he says. He's told us in Isaiah 44 and 45, he's going to uncover the vessels of the temple and the gold and the silver. But it's his, and he's going to use it to show the whole world that he is God. Now, people have ridiculed me, and they've even put me down and disrespected me over the years because I felt that I knew the man that God had chosen to do this. I knew when I first came here. I knew before any of you were here. This was the place. Because God had said, prepare a place near here. That was Beaver Dam, Arizona. And that was near Zion. And here we are near Zion. So I knew it was near here in 1994. And in 1996, He showed me Zion was the place. Then I knew precisely where it was where the promised land was, and where Zion was. So I began looking for a place out here before any of you had ever, most of you had ever even heard of me, because I knew this was the right area. Now, I never, in my human stupidity, figured out that Jerusalem had to be nearby. I knew where Zion was. I knew where the promised land was. I just hadn't thought of where Jerusalem was or might need to be. And a long time comes a guy, knocks on my head, and says, You want to know where Jerusalem is? My ears and my eyes came wide awake and open. And the thought crystallized, Well, of course I do. If we know where Zion is, we know where the promised land is. You might as well know where Jerusalem is, right? It's got to be built. And he showed me. And he showed me a lot of petroglyphs and a lot of history and a lot of things that indicated where Jerusalem is. And indeed, in our hymn book, we sing that Jerusalem is north of Zion. On her north side, And the place he showed me, is due north of Zion. Absolute due north. And it's the first place, due north, that a city could really be built. So this man is about as weird as people come. I I think we all pretty much grasp that. He's in jail right at the moment. But I believe God has showed him, as Isaiah 45 says, where his treasures are. And God is going to uncover those treasures. And he may do it with a great earthquake. And I'm sure we're going to be involved because he tells us that we're associated with the silver and gold that is his here in Haggai. So it's not going to go to the Mormons or the Jesuits or the Catholics or the Spanish or the Portuguese or the U.S. government. It's going to go to God's people to put them a temple. And it's going to astound the world's leaders and cause their loins to be loosened. They're going to foul their pants. This is going to scare them so badly because they think they have it all now. They are going to be the world-ruling elite and they will be in charge And they'll have the rest of the world as peasants. And then someone's going to turn up more gold than they have. And temple treasures and historical records that prove the Bible to be true. And they will hate it with a passion. And they will hate anyone who has anything to do with it with a passion. Because it spoils their dreams. God is going to allow them to rule for 42 months. And he's going to have two people right in their face the whole time. And then it's going to come to a crashing halt. But he's talking about Aaron Haggai. This isn't something that happened a long time ago. It isn't something that happened in worldwide. Because worldwide is gone. This has to happen here right at the end. Then he goes on down and defines holiness because holiness is required. He says, be you clean that bear the vessels of the eternal in Isaiah 52. So we can't have filthy conduct. And then he says, consider from the time things were really bad and they've been bad in worldwide and now they're getting bad in the nation. From the ninth and 24th, I'll bless you. And that finally... The fruit will come on the trees and produce where it hasn't been. Well, it hasn't been since I came to a knowledge of these things for 26 and a half years. And now I feel that it's time for these things to happen. And you'll say, oh, well, it hasn't. It hasn't. And then God says, now it's going to happen. Wow. And he says, he will shake the heavens and the earth. So it's right at the end. Zechariah picks it up there. You know, we can't go up and build Jerusalem, even if the people were to come now. The U.S. government, BLM, controls that land. And they would stop us immediately if we were to start building on that. Something has to change politically. The crash has to occur. We're going to have a civil war. A lot of alternative writers are saying that now, but Jeremiah told us that in Jeremiah 50 and 51 a long time ago. We know there's a civil war coming, and violence, ruler against ruler, and they probably will kill Trump. They might kill Biden while they're at it, and a few others. I don't know who all they're going to kill, but somebody's going to get killed, because I can show you in Hosea and Isaiah and other places that our leaders are going to be killed. So when it happens, all we have to do is go back and say, God told us so. There it is. All these things are that way. When? Well, after the 70 years ended, and I think it has now, in August of 17. And then, just like the 70 years in Daniel's time. It went on two or three years before they were allowed to go build the temple in Jerusalem with Ezra and Nehemiah. So it was not immediate. They didn't get turned loose the next day. Let's go do it. No, it went on for a while. And then it happened. So when this 70 years ends, God works in patterns. It'd be a while. And then it happens. The 430, the 70, the 65, all of those things are signs for us. And if we can't read them, then they're worthless as signs. If it goes on beyond this year, all the things that I projected from Scripture, we just have to throw that chart away. Be done with it. Throw it away. Forget it. And then it's all open in. I don't think so. I just don't think so. I don't think God would have put those signs in here unless at some point... <coughs> It give us the ability to read them and understand them. And as we see, see things happening in the world, they are coming to pass. Will it be quite as quick as you or I might think? Maybe, maybe not. I can say conclusively and unequivocally that it didn't come in the time which I thought for the last 70 years. <laughs> you know, I thought it, and I thought it, and I thought it, and I hoped it, and I hoped it, and I prayed it, and it didn't come. So I was wrong. Now maybe I'm right. to happen sometimes. You can be wrong for years and years, decades. And when God's time has come, then you're right. So, I still anticipate it. Every 9 every first month, every 6-1 of Haggai. Been anticipating it and hoping for many years. But sometimes it's got to happen. And he tells us, before the crash, just ahead of the northern army, and so on. Many signs like that, and we see those things getting closer and closer to happening, so we know it has to be very near, even at the door. We see that he's coming on the trees right there. So he gave us signs. He says he doesn't do anything except he warns through his servants the prophets. That's his word. So somewhere in these prophecies, It has to be that God has told us and warned us ahead of time and that we would know pretty much even when as we see it starting to happen. He didn't say we'd know 50, 60, 70 years ahead of time. He said we'd see it when we see the things start happening. And we've seen little things that appeared to be fulfillments for years. But now it's happening everywhere you look. It's just everywhere. So we know it is very near. And if a projected leader that I think is the man dies, then where are we? Unless God brings it back, then a lot of people thought that he was going to bring Herbert Armstrong back. I didn't think so for what that's worth. But God works, and we have come to see since that Herbert Armstrong's job was not the job of Zerubbabel, at least in the final chapter. He's gone. He's been dead over half a lifetime. So it is falling on someone else. Now let's consider real quickly here, I'll, I'll wrap this up. He says we have to get rid of some rebels. Chapter 2, he says, Here's a man holding a measuring line in his hand. And I said, Where are you going? He said to me, To measure Jerusalem, to see what is the breadth thereof and what is the length thereof. And behold, the angel that talked with me went forth, and another angel went out to meet him and said to him, Run, speak to this young man, saying Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls, for the multitude of men and cattle therein. Now, I've been pondering that passage for twenty-six and a half years, and I thought I might know who that young man would be, but I didn't understand fully what he was to do. Now When I read it this morning, I looked it up on purpose because it had occurred to me how this might fit. It comes at a time when it's about time to build Jerusalem. He's holding a plumb line. It's time to build it. We need to know how wide it's to be, how long it's to be, where it's to be, how this is to be done. That's the context. So it says, run to this young man and tell him the time has come to do this. Don't take your time about it. Run! And I think the young man that I fingered then in '96 is probably the same young man as then. He's older now, but comparatively, he's younger. He's probably in his fifties. That's still fairly young from my standpoint. Some men in their fifties, I'll think they're just a pup, and they are in that sense. But it comes at a time when it's critical. It's hurry time. Forget your house. Build my house. That's what he says in that guy. That's what he's saying here. It's time to run. Get this done. Well, we've got a man that might be dying. I may have to call his son and say, run. Tell your dad he needs to get anointed. Tell your dad he needs healed. It's time to build a temple. I don't know. We'll see. He says that it'll be built as towns without walls, and the eternal will be a wall of fire round about and be the glory in the midst of her. Flee from the land of the north. Flee from Babylon and come to Zion where you'll be protected and build it. That's the context. So, yeah, it's time, when it's time, it's time, and then it's time to hurry. Leave the daughter of Babylon. Well, isn't that what the women is going to do? And God says, I'll take care of it. Right now, if you went up there and got on BLM and got your dozers out and started working, they'd run you off. But if Christ himself is a wall of fire around it, they can't touch you. And if he cracks open a mountain and shows his riches in gold and silver, they can't touch it. If we dug a hole in there and found it today, they'd come after it. But once he's on the scene and there's a wall of fire around, it's his. It ain't theirs. And they could send all the letters they wanted saying, that belongs to us. Well, those letters would probably go into the wall of fire. Because God is going to be in charge. And he's going to see that these things happen. But we don't have time to go into the rest of this, and we've been over it many times anyway, but it just hit me this morning, several items of news, and especially that about John, that we've entered a crisis time. If he is to be involved, then this has to happen pretty rapidly. Uh, And the crash we may have gotten yesterday, even a hint that it's very much on its way. We'll see how that develops. But there needs to be time for God's people to gather, he says, before the crash comes. So he's got to let them know at some point that they need to do this. And then they have time to get it done. So there's a little time there. Isaiah 52 says of that flight, it won't be in haste, but do it. When it's time to flee from Jerusalem, when the abomination is set up, it's very hasty. Don't even look back at anything in the house, any belongings. Just run, because you'll have deer legs by then. Go. But this one, there's time ahead of the crash, ahead of the northern army, to find your way to Zion. Now, how long of time is that? A week? Two weeks? A month? Four, five, six months? I don't know. But time enough. So but once you hear of it, you begin to go through the motions of getting the job done. And if God stirs them, then they're going to want to do something about it, wouldn't you think? So they're not going to say, oh, hey, well, God stirred me to go. Uh, I think I'll go next year maybe or the year after that would fit my retirement and everything so I'll, I'll just wait I don't think so I think they're going to read the times they're going to see God doing some signs and wonders and they're going to head there pretty quickly and in time enough that God just might protect them if they're meek and humble and not full of pride, ego and vanity and they're ready to Work at doing God's work. So my morning was a bit of a tumult. Uh, I spent from so about seven thirty eight o'clock thinking and praying and looking at a few scriptures and back and forth till it was time to come here. Because to me this is a great deal, a very big deal, and I think that we should pray as we have never prayed before because I think with the understanding that I have and who I think because of the things God showed me, I do think he's the man and he could die any moment, any day, any week with the health condition that he is today facing and is living through and might live through and might not because when you get as weak and as old as he is and have a major stroke and they're saying you probably will have more and you're already so unresponsive you won't eat and won't do anything uh, you're close to the end of the road so I think we should pray as we've not prayed I think we should take this very seriously again I could be wrong about him being the man but I certainly don't see anybody else out there That has enough understanding, that has enough of a relationship with God, who can write the Bereans as he does. I read those daily. And John, to me, has insight and understanding of God and his plan and his personality and our relationship with him that I have never seen in any other minister in the Worldwide Church of God, including Herbert W. Armstrong. He has understanding of those things beyond anything that I have ever experienced. And I don't know of anyone else who even comes close. So I could be wrong. But I think God fingered him as the man when he showed me where Zion and promised land on so I believed it all these years and I still believe it it hasn't shaken me one bit that he is at the precipice of death all that tells me is maybe it's time for these things to actually come to pass before he dies so we indeed are in crisis time because if he does die and this thing doesn't happen immediately. We're going to have to rethink everything, and I don't want to go through that. Don't want to go through that. I want it to be now, and I want it to be right, and I want it to be finally. You've been waiting a lot of years, haven't you? So have I. Since I was eight years old, been seventy years But I've been anticipating these things happening. So is it time? May very well be. May very well be. And if it is time, we had very well better be humble and meek and ready to serve God. That's what we had better be. So pray because we're standing on the precipice of history. It's where we're standing. And it's going to be a great change, a great change, both for the good of the church and for the evil that's coming on the world. And it's crescendoing day by day by day. I think we ought to meet here about 8 o'clock, sundown is at 8.07, beginning of the first day of the sixth month. We may not have a Bible study since we had Sabbath services and I've told you what I'm thinking and what I see in the scriptures but maybe at the beginning of the sixth month this year it might be good to come and have a prayer to God and recognize that the first day of the sixth month is beginning and see where it goes from there it may not be the year Maybe another year, maybe another two years, but I don't see that in the church or in what's happening in the world. It's escalating too fast. So, could be wrong, but I had rather go to God and talk to Him and ask Him to give us understanding and wisdom for what may or may not be in the process of happening. God is the place to go <laughs> nowhere else so I think it would be good if we'd meet here about 8ish sundown being there and we could start a prayer about sundown on the first day of the 6th month and pray God if this is the year be with us